a listener production. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Broadsheet Melbourne Around Town. I'm Nick Connellan, Broadsheet's Publications Director, filling in for Kachavaktal. Today, we're looking at a stately new restaurant called Wren on Collins Street. It's arguably the biggest opening of the year and something we've never really seen in Melbourne. It's in a historic building, the former Melbourne Stock Exchange, with solid granite columns, stained glass windows and gothic ceilings. The restaurant mixes elements of New York-style brasserie like Balthazar, French Bistro and, of course, with a bit of Australian attitude. It's the follow-up to Nomad on Flinders Lane. With us today in the studio, we have Jackie Shalinor, who is the executive chef at Wren and LaRue. Welcome, Jackie. Hello. Thanks for having me. So I'm going to dive right in with the hard stuff. Love it. Wren is a classical French restaurant. When we last caught up, you told me you were very intimidated to do this menu, which I I've honestly found surprising for a chef of your standing. Uh, imposter syndrome? <laughs> um it was. Nomad has been my baby and my, I guess, comfort space for the last 10 years. So stepping out of that was incredibly daunting for me. And like I said, imposter syndrome is something that is a real thing. Um, so, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I've been doing what I do for such a long time now that I, you know, the self-doubt and all that sort of stuff creeps in, especially with a project as big and ambitious as what Ren and LaRue is. So it was a definitely a difficult thing to wrap my head around and it was incredibly daunting leading up to that but I'm very proud of what we've put together and you know it's nice to stretch your legs with something different and to try a new cuisine and learn something new and so you're half Maltese and and that cuisine that you grew up with is is kind of largely what what you get at Nomad yeah so yeah Ren's obviously a big departure but that was about a month ago that that we had that discussion. Are you feeling any different now that the restaurant's been open for a little while and you've actually been kind of putting it into practice? Well, I've been getting positive feedback about the food. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I, it's, you know, I guess it's like, I don't know, when you're a kid and you have a party and you're scared no one's going to show up to it and <laughs> all that fear was sort of hanging around prior and now that we're open and, you know, people are there and they've shown up and they're enjoying it and they're really enjoying the food. So yeah, I guess that is a little bit of a confidence boost and a pat on the back for everything we put together. But you know, I've got a great team in the kitchen and I'm incredibly proud of the food that we put together. It's turned out on a plate exactly how I sort of envisioned it all in my brain. So, you know, I'm really happy with where we're at with it. I don't think there was any chance of nobody showing up. (laughs) I've been around for a while now. I can't remember many restaurants that have had this much Hype's not the right word, but kind of excitement and specialness around them, given that amazing historic building that it's in, the former stock exchange um, on Collins Street. I spoke to so many people who said, oh, I worked around the corner from there, or I knew someone who worked there in the 80s or whatever. It's such an incredible room. And I think maybe the only thing to think about or to be worried about was, is this going to work as a restaurant? with all those hard surfaces and that crazy ceiling and stuff, it wasn't like you guys could design it from the ground up. No, it was, I mean, I guess I got to design the kitchen. I didn't have a huge amount to do with the process and everything that went through with the dining room itself, which was such a huge part of what you see now. Like there's there's so many things behind the scenes that you just wouldn't have even expected 
to be part of the process, like all the soundproofing and all the thought that went into making sure that that room is actually a warm and comfortable space to sit. Like it was all the back and forth with Heritage Victoria was such a huge process um, that's dragged the project out longer than, you know, we would have hoped. Ideally, it would have been nice to have this joint open a year ago. Um, but I think it now... The it, yeah, exactly. So the finished product now was worth every little back and forth that happened throughout the whole process because, you know, even I was concerned walking in there for the first time wondering how we were going to get the acoustics right and make that room feel warm and cosy. They've hit it on the head. Like you walk in there and it feels like a big warm hug and there's there's beautiful spaces in the dining room that feel a little bit different. You know, it's not just one square blank room. There's little nooks that you can sit in that feel a little bit different. There's the bar. It's it's such a beautifully warm and inviting space. That uh, back private table, I'm kind of eyeing that off for a birthday. Yeah, yeah. It's Semi-private a, table. Yeah, the Queen's table, we've named it. It's been booked out. It's amazing to see. And it's a good little space, I guess, for a group to kind of hang out with and have a little bit of their own corner of the dining room. Mm. So those solid granite columns, the um, kind of soaring ceilings, the stained glass windows, the beautiful mosaic floor, Heritage Victoria wouldn't let you touch any of that, right? There was no glues, no screws, no... None no of glues, that. no screws, no nothing. <laughs> right. So it was just everything had to be placed down on top. Yeah. So it can be reversed down the track if need be. Basically, we have to be able to clear out in 20 years' time and act like we never stepped foot in there. So everything was built off-site. Um, the, the joiner that Alan Beck have worked with for, you know, the last 10 years based up in New South Wales built everything in his studio and it just got shipped down and placed on top. Um, so that's that's Alan Beck, Yazbeck. The owners, the, yeah, owners yeah. yeah. The raised platforms on both sides of the dining room are there so that we could run services underneath. So all the electrical and plumbing is in between that so that we, we couldn't actually drill into the, the the floor or anything like that. So it's all um, it's all basically there stuck on pretty much. All the, the acoustic panels are tension held, like nothing's actually attached to anything in the room basically. Those acoustic panels are very clever. I, mm. I was very impressed by those, so... They are a screen printed acoustic panel that looks like the sandstone behind them, or sorry, limestone. Limestone, yeah. If you're kind of not thinking about them or looking for them, you don't even really notice them. They just yeah. look like the wall. I've um, got to stop pointing them out because yeah, like, people won't they notice. No, and they really work as well. The, yeah. the space has got great acoustics. I think those two bars on either side are really interesting as well. So when you come in, you've got the cocktail bar on the right, which is open for walk-ins only, mm-hmm. and then the one on the left. Tell me what's happening at the one on the left. It's my domain at the moment, the Oyster Bar. So we've got a beautiful seat-up Oyster Bar. At the moment, we've got four different types of oysters going on, a couple of Pacifics, a couple of rocks, beautiful seafood platters, lobsters, caviar, which is all flying out the door. I I was a little bit apprehensive about it. I think given the economic climate at the moment, I was a bit worried that maybe people wouldn't want to indulge, but People are going bananas with it. It's so good to see. Um, yeah, it's 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 really impressive. Got well, couple. I think you've got you've got some of the best oysters in the country, so it's maybe we not that indeed. surprising. Yeah, Moon, you know, Moonlight Flat. Mm-hmm. Who else is on there? Uh, we've got the Gazanda Pacifics working. We're working with the guys from Appalachian, so we generally run a few different estuaries throughout the week. Yeah, people are loving it. Oysters are flying out the door. I've my hands are about to crack and fall off from, from all shucking. the shucking I've been doing in the last week. I think as well, one thing about the space that's interesting is even though it is a big a big restaurant with um, kind of the vibes of special occasion, it is also a place where you can pop in, 
And you have done a really great job on the menu getting all those hors d'oeuvres there or snacks, if you want to kind of translate that to English. What are some of those snacks that people should try? I love them all, but the the Comte tart is probably the star of the show at the moment. So we're getting a really beautiful locally made butter puff pastry and just baking that into a little tart shell. And there's like a beautifully silky Comte custard inside, a celeriac remoulade just mixed with like lots of Dijon mustard and fresh herbs and stuff. And then a salt baked sheet of kohlrabi over the top. And everybody's loving that one. Um, I really wanted to make sure I know that the room is opulent and it kind of screams, oh my God, this is going to be a really expensive experience. But I wanted to create a menu that didn't eliminate anybody I don't like you could come in and just have a couple of bites and a drink at the bar or if you wanted to come in and splurge and go crazy and eat lobster and caviar then you can I didn't want to freeze anybody out I wanted it to be accessible to all levels of the market because food should be and that dining room should be as well so I, I I think we put together a menu that can welcome everybody from all ends of the market and a little point of differentiation which I think we're seeing from more and more restaurants is now is that when people come in, they're not ever going to hear the words, the menu is designed to share. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, we're the biggest culprit of it at night. <laughs> and that food is really designed, like food like that should be eaten like that, you know, that should be messy and slurpy and swiping bread in places. And I love that about Nomad. But I think that that concept of eating has kind of taken over the market a lot. And Even when it doesn't necessarily make sense yeah, for that type of food. Yeah. And, you know, not everybody wants to eat like that. You know, there's different spectrums of the market that want to have their own plate and don't want to share. And that's completely fine. And I think we as the business should cater to, to different ends of the market. And, you know, I wanted to be able to create a menu that let people choose the way that they wanted to eat. If they want to have their own plate, then we've got entrees and mains and desserts to choose from. And if they want to share, then you can absolutely share all of that food as well. Um, so, yeah, I think I think the format of the menu is put together really well like that. And I think the guests that have come in in the last couple of weeks are doing that as well. You know, we're seeing a lot of dockets come through that are to share and getting, you know, like a few big steaks from the grill and sides. And then you've got the people coming in who are just having their own entree and main desserts. So it's working. As planned. Yeah. Let's talk about the steaks. Just like the oysters, you're working with some of the best producers in the mm. country and you're putting that beef on a big wood-fired hearth. I went and looked at it with you in the kitchen. It's a beast. It is a beast. I'd be a bit scared of standing in front of it for hours. <laughs> it's hot. <laughs> so who are the producers you've got for that steak? At the moment, we are using Blackmore, Rangers Valley, uh, O'Connor and uh, Southern Rangers. So a really incredible local Gippsland, I feel it that we've got on the menu, pasture fed. And for an I feel it that is pasture fed, it is the most marbled and intensely flavored. Like, I mean, as a chef and a, a an eater, I would never go and order an I feel it. It's so incredibly tasty. I've never had anything like it before for a cut like that as a grass fed product to just have that consistency of flavor and fat. It's a really impressive steak. Jackie, um, what have you got against I feel it? <laughs> I'm, I I would prefer something on the bone always, ah. always. I'm a ribeye gal. Um, if I'm going to order, I'm actually, to be quite honest with you, I'm not a big steak eater. I'm seafood always. You're doing that on the wood-fired grill too, right? We are. Everything's going over the grill. What but can we expect? The moment we've got a really beautiful coral trout with a lobster beurre blanc and mussels. That's a little favorite flying out the door. And we're doing a whole roast fish of the day, always on the bone. 
um, something plate size. So at the moment we've got a flounder on there and we're serving it with a beautiful, vibrant green sauce and just some sea herbs grilled over the fire. So a lot of restaurants over the past decade or more have really gotten into wood-fired cooking. It's really an increasingly common thing in kitchens, but I feel like you've been doing it for a very long time. What is it about that style of cooking that you just can't get away from? You can't beat it. Like the flavour that you get from cooking like that and I guess just that real basic, raw, elemental type of cooking, there's just nothing like it. When we had the fire at, no, this is probably why you shouldn't cook over fire, but um, when we had to do the little nomad up the road stint, um, I didn't have a fire obviously and it was like I had to retrain my brain to cook with pans and create a menu that was centred around that kind of cooking because it's so easy to just, you know, grab a vegetable and chuck it on the fire and get incredible flavour out of it or a piece of meat or something. Like to be able to get a really great steak and cook it over a fire and serve it with a piece of lemon and a sauce on a side, I don't think you can – it's not the same effect doing that in a pan. It's just not the same. Um, So it's been an integral part of our cooking at Nomad over the years and I just – I can't imagine doing – anything without it. It's just, it's a core in what we do. And I guess when the brief for Ren and LaRue came in with that sort of grand New York style French brasserie situation, it, there was no way that I could kind of create what I wanted to create without having that as an ingredient in the food that we were serving. So it's worth touching on LaRue actually. We haven't talked about that Mm -hmm. yet. That is, uh, you walk through the main restaurant, Ren, and you come to a quite a cute little courtyard that feels a bit uh, European Piazza, mm. and then you've got the eight-seat LaRue at the back, which is a very small wine bar. What are you doing in there? Like you said, little baby wine bar off to the side. It's a complete, I guess, polar opposite to what the grandness and brightness of what Ren is. It's dark, it's moody, it's sexy. Um, eight seats, the full menu is available, Um but also, you know, if you want to come in and just have a few snacks and some wines by the glass, Jason, our bar manager in there, is is doing some fun stuff with cocktails in there. It's it's a great spot to wrap up your meal with some cheese and dessert, or it's a great spot to start your meal with a you know a little cocktail and some snacks before you move into the dining room. It opens at four in the afternoon, so a little bit earlier than what the main dining room opens. So if you wanted to come in after work for a little, you know, wrap up drink. It's a great spot to sit, especially in that courtyard. I think when summer kicks in, it's going to be a really cool spot to sit. Yeah, I'm keen for the courtyard in summer and also to explore that wine list. An Mm. absolute cracker. It's a a big one. Jed, our Bev director, has been buying wine for like the last two years in preparation for this. And I think they're running out of it pretty quickly. He's got a really huge selection. I think it's the biggest selection of American wines in the country. Well, I mean, I was having a joke with him. It's not a, it's a pretty low bar because we don't drink a lot of American wine here. Um, but no, it's, it's definitely an emerging thing. So a few wholesalers have launched American selections for the first time. But um, yeah, I think what uh, Ren's doing is really exciting with those 100 American bottles from some of the kind of best Cabernet Sauvignon producers of the East Coast. And mm. We've got a, a very happy Bev director with his little wine cellar in LaRue. <laughs> it's nice to have a space to be able to, I guess, for him to really kind of stretch his legs and and the focus at Nomad for such a long time was really heavily 
simply on Australian bottles. Um, so it's good for him to kind of have a venue where he can stretch his legs a little bit further and, and expand on that selection. Mm, well, we talked about how the three pillars of Ren and LaRue are really Australia, France and America with those wines. Yeah. Really interesting concept. Where do you think it'll be in 12 months? Kicking goals, I hope. <laughs> Based on the, you know, the start that we've had, which has been incredible, you know, I hope we just kind of keep doing what we're doing. At the moment, we're trading five days a week. Ideally, the plan is that we expand that. And if the demand is there, you know, I believe we'll probably be at seven days, I hope. I guess just keep building on what we're doing. We're, you know, we're really happy with the food. We're all sort of all in there figuring out what goes where and and what to improve on. So I think with a project like this, with any restaurant, you still work on it. We're still working on Nomad Sydney. We're still working on Nomad Melbourne. It'll never, ever, ever stop. Um, But we just want to continue to improve and get better. And I think there's so much expectation on a room like that and an opening like that. And I guess the history of it as well is such a special thing for Melbourne that we want to do our best to honour that and to, you know, give people an experience that they want and deserve by walking in there. So a lot on our plates for the next, I guess, years to come. Yeah, to, exciting time. To keep kicking goals with it, hopefully. Wren and LaRue are located at 380 Collins Street, Melbourne. Wren is open Tuesday to Saturday, 12pm until 2.30 and 5pm until 9.30pm. LaRue is open from 4pm to 9pm. Thank you so much for coming on the show. That's all right. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. You can stay up to date at any minute of any day at broadsheet.com.au or on Instagram at broadsheet underscore melb. I'll be back again on Friday, same time, same place. Listener.